Arts, Lifestyle, SNS Online. They tried to make me go to rehab, I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, no, no, no. I ain't got the time, and if my daddy thinks I'm fine, they try to make me go to rehab, I won't go, go, go. A condition like schizophrenia still a lot of misunderstanding and 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 yeah stigma attached to it i didn't have the language to, to talk about it i didn't have the, the the understanding the insight the thing was there was such an emphasis on on like medication in the hospital very little kind of talking about what was really going on it was just like you're ill you're really ill and you've got to take these medications and we don't know what's going to happen to you and that's it i got to the bridge and i went over the edge to the to the ledge and then suddenly out of nowhere this this stranger, this guy was next to me and, and talking to me. You know, I look back and I, I feel incredibly lucky because talk about kind of a sliding doors moment. We all kind of <laughs> show our best selves to everyone, but if we all digged a bit deeper, I think, and if we were all able to be more honest and vulnerable, you know, I think we'd find more sort of commonality. Hello and welcome to SNS Online. In acknowledgement of February's Time to Talk Day and Children's Mental Health Week, we talked to a man who quite literally turned his life around to become one of the UK's most familiar and passionate mental health campaigners and educators. Johnny Benjamin, MBE, alongside the man who helped save his life back in 2008, Neil Laybourne, has travelled the length and breadth of the UK and indeed the world to tell his story. And today, Johnny tells it to us. So Johnny Benjamin, welcome to SNS Online. It's so wonderful to get to meet you today and to talk about your life and work. You know, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I know this is, uh, it's been a while in the making, hasn't it? We've been back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Oh, so I'm glad that finally got to do it. So I think we had a tube strike at one point yeah. and then I was in hospital, had my That's appendix right. out, you were in hospital, so yeah. it was just like... <laughs> I know, it's been it's been a long time. It's yeah. been a long time. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, my first question is probably not the, the lightest first yeah. question. Sure. Does it get easier to talk about that day at Waterloo Bridge or indeed anything to do with your condition or do you find you have to safeguard yourself emotionally first through, say, exercises, mind control, etc.? A nice light starter question. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's good to get. It's good to get in there. It's good to get yeah. in there. No, I mean for me, um, it depends. It depends on my state of mind, you know, at the time. So if I'm if I'm having a good period, then yeah, I'm happy to you know go back, talk about it. I I, I can sort of distance myself to to that day and to you know um, my my struggles. But if I'm if I'm struggling, then um, it's it's harder to talk about it because, you know, I'm in a bad place of mind anyway. So it's harder, yeah, when, no, I'm, when I'm struggling. Um, so obviously these are quite often interviews which cover the whole picture, really. Yeah. And um, for people who might not know about how this started, like, can we go back in time to that day and you're, you're happy to talk about it? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So that day was, um, well, it was uh, January the 14th, 2008. So a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and I was, um, well, I'd, I'd been diagnosed with um, something called schizoaffective disorder, 
um, a month before. And I was, I was, yeah, I was in hospital at the time. I was, I was really quite unwell. Um, and well, essentially I'd give, I'd given up. I gave up pretty much as soon as I got my diagnosis and I was put into a hospital. Um, I just, I, I just, there was no hope. There was no hope. And, um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't see a, a future essentially with, with that condition and, and, you know, with the stigma and, um, I was struggling with my sexuality as well. And, and there was just so much going on. So um, you saw it as a real stigma that other people would, you perceived other people to have some weird issue with. Yeah, well, I mean, I think schizophrenia is, is um, yeah, it, it's something that there's still a lot of stigma attached to. Other mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, people talk about, people talk about them more, don't they? I think, you know, we've got people in the public eye talking about depression, anxiety, stress. Um, but a condition like schizophrenia, still a lot of misunderstanding and, and, and yeah, stigma attached to it. And, um, you know, I was 20 years old at the time. I'd, I was at uni in university and suddenly I'd had to drop out and I was suddenly in hospital and uh, I just couldn't handle that. Um, well, I was ashamed and I was embarrassed. And, um, and did you not feel you could talk to anybody about it? Because I know you wrote diaries which we perhaps we can talk about in a while but were you internalizing all of this yeah I was really kind of stuck and lost in, in myself um and um yeah I just I couldn't get over the embarrassment I was really embarrassed about everything that was going on in my head you know I <laughs> I believed I was in a in a kind of tv show of my own uh, the Truman show that like the film the Truman show I believed I was in my own version of that and um, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to talk about it. I mean, even to your parents, did you get into it? Yeah, well, especially my parents, actually, because, oh, okay. um, <clears throat> you know, I'd managed to hide this for so long um, until I had this, this, this huge breakdown. And, well, what, um, did, what did you think you were actually hiding at the time? What was your perception of what was going on in those early days? Well, I just, I just didn't understand, I didn't understand Particularly when the depression hit um, in my mid-teens, uh, I, I, I just didn't understand. It didn't make sense to me because, um, you know, I, I said to myself, I'm, I come from a really good family, really loving family. I, I was doing well in school. I was always like a A-grade student. So, um, I, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, people saw me as kind of as, as doing really well in life. And um, suddenly I'd gone from that to being this, yeah, impatient in a, in a psychiatric hospital and um, uh, I felt embarrassed for my parents um, and I felt I kind of brought, brought shame on them. I didn't have the language to, to talk about it. I didn't have the, the, the understanding, the insight. Um, and there wasn't one person who could shed a bit of light and make you feel more comfortable about it. You had to go through this horrible process before you started to talk to the right people. Yeah, I mean, if I'm honest... No, I don't want to criticize too much. But, oh no, no, no! But yeah, yeah. But but for me, I think the thing was there was such an emphasis on on like medication in the hospital. You know, the the doctors and, and the nurses. When I said that I felt suicidal, I tried to. I I said a few times, you know, oh, I, f I feel I feel I feel suicidal, and they would react straight away and you know, I'll oh, take this medication and and mm. you know, uh, kind of go into this uh, panic. Very little kind of uh, talking about what was really going on. Um, it was just like you're ill, you're really ill, and you've got to take this th these medications, and we don't know what's going to happen to you, and that's it. And 
I was just put on this this well I was on a on, on a on a suicide ward you know I was watched 24/7 and um if I'm honest it there wasn't people were just watching me rather than kind of um trying to show you any empathy or, you know. yeah it was just um yeah people people were just supervising me 24/7 you know when I went to the toilet and had a shower and and it was it was really um tough it was really tough on Arrival at Accident and Emergency by Jonathan Benjamin. I'm going to kill myself, I told the nurse. OK, she said. We'll need some details first. I'm about to kill myself, I told the doctor as he sat by the door. After a glance at his notes, he asked, Mr Benjamin, are you sure? I'll prescribe some Valium, he declared. Call us first thing. If you still feel unwell, we can try and get you in. But doctor, I want to kill myself, I yelled, pleading for his help. A good night's sleep, he said, is all you need, young man, to see you back to health. It sounds like escape from Alcatraz, really, because yeah. you did manage to escape. I over. did, I did, I did. Um, I got used to covering everything up. And mm. in the hospital, I began to cover up, you know, my distress. And when I came up with my plan to, to run away... Um, Again, I was able to hide and what was going on and convince everyone I was, yeah, I was doing all right. And then um, I had it all planned out. I, I had my my escape planned out, and um, basically it was quite kind of simple. I just asked for a cigarette, and they let me outside of the hospital to smoke, and I ran as, as fast as I could when I got there outside, and um, and and I knew where I was going, and I knew what I wanted to do, um, and. Um, yeah, as soon as I as soon as I got out that morning to smoke, I I I I, I ran away and I I ran to the nearest tube station and um, I I got the train to um, to central London. Standing on the edge of Waterloo Bridge, with a cold wind cutting my face, I glance down to the Thames far below. It ebbs and flows, a sea of waste. I hold tight to an iron bar behind me, fix my gaze on the hands of Big Ben. Behind me, the busy morning commute as chimes strike a quarter to ten. From here, heaven feels so close. My madness dosed with urge. London sits majestic in its sphere as my feet inch off the verge. So, so you made your way to to the bridge, and and you know we're actually considering ju- jumping off, but then a stranger came to speak to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, my my head was. It's difficult to describe what my what was going on in my in my head. I was um, I was, just, I was very desperate and. Um, uh, I, I was completely hopeless, um, and uh, you know, I I I I got to the bridge and um, I went over the edge to the you know to the to the ledge, and I I was I was there. And to be honest, I don't remember how long I was no, on the ledge no. for before this stranger came along. I don't yeah. think I was on for very long, and then suddenly out of nowhere, this this stranger, this guy was next to me and and 
uh, talking to me and um i was uh <laughs> i was a bit startled then abruptly a voice behind me hi there my name is mike i pretend not to hear but he carries on whatever it is it isn't worth your life mute i turned to meet the face of a man barely older than myself smiling gently he says with sincerity you will get through this mate i can help well at first i i, I just i didn't want to i didn't want to engage with this with this stranger you know i just i wanted him to just leave me alone and and go away but um there was something um something about this stranger this this young guy he was very um just very grounded very calm mm. and he said i'm not i'm not going anywhere and um eventually i began to engage with him mm. um and um yeah there was just something very different about this stranger he was just he he had this this kind of uh aura about him mike's voice is calm mine sounds so weak as i speak i begin to cry i don't know what i'm doing anymore i was so certain i wanted to die yeah the, he kind of uh pulled pulled me out began to pull me out of the my world the distressed place that i was in pulled sure. me into his kind of world and um i don't know i think you know looking back maybe you know he was this young guy a few uh, just a few years older than me and he was um he was on his way to work and i don't know there was something about him i just i was drawn to i guess mm. um and then uh, you know we began to really talk essentially mm. which was hard but um i began to i began to open up to this guy because i i felt uh comfortable and safe with him which i hadn't felt before mm. but um it was it was freezing and he said to me well he said to me a number of times you know let's go for a coffee there was a coffee shop down the end of the the bridge and he said to me you know you and me let's just sit down we can chat in the warmth and eventually yeah he kind he he got through to me he got through to me but as we converse me and my mic this need is starting to lessen His words of hope give me reassurance, lift the fog of my depression. Sounds like he was exactly what you needed. Yeah, he was for sure. I mean, I'm, you know, I look back and I, I feel incredibly lucky because, you know, talk about kind of a sliding doors moment. Because I mean, somebody else could have said, "Hey, what are you doing?" But they wouldn't have the the, the right skills to tap into. To, to talking to you in in the way that he did. Yeah, he had this he had this real just empathy and kindness mm. and um this gentleness and this this like patience with me. Um and yeah, and and I really I really I don't know, I just felt I could open up and mm. it, I think it was a, a lot to do with I didn't feel judged by him at all. Um I don't know it's like nothing sort of phased him. Heavy rain is beginning to fall. We could go for a coffee he suggests. Talk it over. Mike holds out a hand. Takes a careful step closer. I take his hand. He grasps mine tight. You'll learn how to cope. 
he says as I climb to safety. Around me, he places his coat. It almost sounds like you needed somebody like that in the, in the NHS as opposed to these, these people frantically running around your bed. I mean, mm. you would have thought somebody like that would have been one of the first people to be you know, assigned to you. I think, I think the trouble is, and you know, I've been in hospital a number of times, a lot of the time, uh, well, there's, well, firstly, there's not, there's not enough time. There's not enough time. There's, there's a, usually there's there's more patients, much many more patients than staff, and staff have got to respond to every patient in 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 a, in a um, adequate amount of time. And there's there's course, a limited yeah. amount of time they can spend with you, and um, especially when it's when it's the, the, this suicide watch that I was on. Mm. I don't know if staff. I don't know what training they had. It was. Uh... I'm just wondering if you know fundamentally this is a really good life lesson of of how things can evolve with the NHS. But I guess that's you know. Yeah. It's it's so difficult. It's so difficult mm. because um, so much of it comes to, comes down to time and, mm. and things like bureaucracy. You know all the things, all the forms they've got to fill in, and all the yeah. I, <laughs> but I think I think that empathy and the non judgment I think is um, and almost well being listened. Well being listened to. Yeah, being listened. Okay. Be really listened to. This guy um, he had this this way of of listening. You know. Um, I don't know, I hadn't been listened to like that before. Um, I just think that's really lovely that he he just seemed to understand on that level. He, d- he did, he yeah. really did. I mean, there was a kind of lack of, of hope in the hospital. No one around me was getting better at all. I, I, yeah, everyone was just seemed really unwell. And um, we didn't talk, you know, things like recovery, hope. It just, mm. looking back, you know, I wish... I wish it would have been talked more about in the hospital, but he did. He offered this message of um, hope and recovery, and um, he, he really, he really meant it. Three police from behind us charge. Are you hurt? What's your name? Afraid, I turn and attempt to run to the ground. I'm quickly restrained. An ambulance arrives into which I'm led. Mike gradually fades from sight. Dazed by the faces surrounding me, my vision bleaches to white. When I awake, I find myself here, sectioned on a psychiatric ward. Finally, I gain a sense so long been removed. My faith in life, thanks to Mike, is restored. So, the sad sort of end, I mean, it was fantastic because obviously he got you off the bridge. But then I I was in tears reading the fact that you were almost pulled apart by the police because obviously the police were coming. Yeah. You didn't get a chance to have that coffee. And then, I, I don't know, it just seemed very, even though your life was saved, yeah, it just seemed a very brutal way for that to finish. Yeah, I mean, um, it was a shock when the police, because, you know, as I said, I, I didn't know. I wasn't aware of what was going on behind me because it was just me and me and him. But obviously someone would have called yeah. the police and the police kind of sped up in their car and jumped out mm. once I'd climbed back to the pavement. And yeah. and I, I I panicked when I when I saw them. I you know, I thought I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um and it all got very uh frantic mm-hmm. and um I was handcuffed and restrained and it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't. No. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't a pleasant experience at all. We, we don't have to dwell on that bit, but no, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's. I work with the police now okay. because, um, 
again, I, I you know, I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't want to criticise the police. I, they, they just, I think it's a lack of training. It is a lack. I know it's a lack of training. Mm. You know, uh, they, and funding as well. I would well, think. yeah, as, all come, as, come goes hand in hand, really. Yeah, absolutely, it really does. Um, but it was, um, yeah, it was a, it was a sad ending because you know, not just for me, but for Neil as well. Mm. He, you know, he was suddenly the police were there, and I was handcuffed and taken one way, and then Neil was taken. Uh, the other way and he had to give a statement to the police and, and that was it we were we were separated and and then I was taken off to hospital and, and, and sectioned and he he went on back to work and you know um, that moment was 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 gone when you went back to hospital obviously they were pumping you with drugs etc but were there did you start to find other people who could connect to you like Neil who who helped you a bit or was it just for fact because it was out in the open anyway yeah. you, you were sort of forced to sort of talk about it to your parents etc I think it was um, th- this idea of hope you know Neil on the bridge that day had been so positive about my he was like you'll get better you know you you, you, you will you'll be alright and and I hadn't had that um, that self belief before um, but when I went back to the hospital I had a sense of um hope and okay. that was what that was what got me through so this guy that we now know as neil mm. uh, you you didn't know him uh, no. at the time um he wasn't a trained counselor at the time he was um a, a fitness guy wasn't mm-hmm. he yeah he was he was a personal trainer yeah um that's interesting well it is so so we often talk about this myself and neil you know he says to me that in his work as a personal trainer he was um often listening he was a he was a real list he had to listen because people would come with their stuff not just their physical stuff but um a lot of mental stuff as well you know stress and anxiety would come out when people he was training with people and he would sit and and listen and um be there for people so yeah i guess he was he was kind of used to that that role of being the, the the listener um which is really interesting i think but no i mean he didn't have any training and he says himself like (laughs) He had no idea what what he was what he was gonna say. Mm-hmm. He just felt like he had to. He just couldn't walk past. Mm-hmm. He, he he said he says he had to just step in and just say something, anything. You know, he just couldn't live with himself if he didn't do anything. I think certain people have that sort of capacity, <clears throat> that sort of innate capacity to make that link, mm-hmm. and it's just incredible that that uh, all the people walking past that day. You know, he was the one who spoke to you first. Oh, absolutely. Well, again, you know, I'm, I I feel really, really, really lucky that, <laughs> you know, it was it was it was him. And, um, you know, he's he's that sort of person that obviously I know him very well now. Yeah. He He's that sort of person that will step into any situation. You know, if someone's in trouble, if he sees something that doesn't look right in in, in the street or, or wherever, he'll step. He's, he's that sort of person that will step in. Um, if, if there's a fight, you know, he'll be that person that steps in and. Mm. You know, I think it takes a, a, a rare, special person to, to do that. Looking for a man that changed my life. I just, I'm so grateful to him for, for stopping and talking. It, it really was the moment that my recovery started. I expected maybe 
the one person to come forward and say, this was me, but I actually had quite a number of people come forward. Is it just a case of just wanting to thank him? Just want to give him a hug. <laughs> the trends map where the hashtag Find Mike is being used. Calls which is coming in all the time. This guy could be my Mike. That's, that's definitely not Mike. This guy is potentially the man that I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm petrified, to be honest. One of the most uplifting tales of our time, The Stranger on the Bridge, Monday at 9 on 4. So... How many years later was it when you when you met Neil? Because I know you had a campaign called Find Mike hashtag because you couldn't remember the name, uh, and uh, and uh, Channel Four made a documentary all about it. Yeah, I I it was six years. It was six years after okay. that incident that I launched this search to find Neil, who I thought was Mike. Um, <laughs> I, I do that all the time. So. Yeah, <laughs> get on on the only one. <laughs> well, it was different. I, I um I was you know I. I just, you had I other things not... on your mind, mate. Well, exactly, yeah, to be honest. I... But I I essentially, I launched the campaign. Um, it was actually, I was working with a charity called uh, Rethink, Rethink Mental Illness um, six years later, and they were the ones that suggested, oh, you know, this guy, have you ever thought of trying to find him and, and thank him? And I just thought it was impossible because, you know, he could be anywhere and... How was I? How was I going to track him down? It just seemed really impossible. But they had this belief that um, I could, I could find that we could find him, and, and we set up this social media campaign. And it just, it, it was, it was very surreal. It just took off um, as soon as it launched. Six years to the day that we first met on the bridge, it just, it, it just took off. It went viral, and um, yeah, very, um, very surreal time looking back. Uh, all this kind of press attention and um yes of course it was yeah it was it was strange it was strange um i mean that was something else i was going <clears> to <throat> talk to you about and uh just about almost like becoming if you like and perhaps i don't really like the term uh, the poster boy for mental health uh, because uh, you know are you comfortable with 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 that because obviously it, it's something that you, has evolved because of your condition mm. Well, to be honest, I think there's so many now. There's so many poster boys, poster girls, poster yeah, yeah. people. <laughs> mm. um, that, I mean, so many people now are talking about mental health. So mm. I just feel part of a massive collective okay. of, 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 sure. of, of people, really. Although I have to say, you know, there's not many people still talking about schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder. It's still psychosis. It's still still carries a lot of stigma. So that's something that, you know, I would love to see more people talking about. Do you think people are scared because they think they could be physically endangered by that person? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of, yeah, there is. There's still a lot of fear around. Because unfortunately, usually when you read about schizophrenia, it's in a negative, uh, negative light in the media. Something, something bad has happened, something's gone wrong, you know. There's been some sort of violence. or And usually that's what people associate with schizophrenia is, is violence and danger and... It's it's very rare. It's really rare that people with schizophrenia are, are, are violent and dangerous. But unfortunately, that's the that's that's all that people. That's all I saw growing up was you know 
this person with schizophrenia has committed this crime and yeah. that's all I saw. And it was and probably easy drama fodder, uh, well, you know, in those days. Let's just give him bat and explain why yeah. he's murdering 20 women right. or something. It's, you're absolutely <laughs> it's right. Bonkers. It's absolutely right. And um, It sounds like we need a good sobering campaign just to say, look, for f***'s sake, I might bleep that word. Um, <laughs> um, you know, just learn what it's all about. Is, is, is that the next stage, do you think? Oh, yeah. And I mean... Um, I mean, it's definitely moved forwards. I think it's definitely moved forwards. Again, charities like like Rethink Mental Illness, you know, they've really changed things. And, and, and Time to Change, you know, there's this Time to Change campaign. Particularly in the UK, things are really, I see things really changing, but... Because you've, yeah. you've, you've set up a charity yourself, haven't you? Beyond mm. Shame, Beyond Stigma. Let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah, so that that's... Well, essentially, that's... So my big passion is around um, mental health education because I, I know that if I would have had something at school I didn't get any you know it just seems ridiculous that you know when I was at school we talked about our physical health you know we did we did uh, PE a physical education you know we, we looked after our bodies but no mm. one no one talked to us about looking after our minds mm. um, and it just it just it just seems bizarre I just think it's bizarre and I just know that if some if I'd have got something at school I don't think I would have got to the stage that I got to or at college or university no one talked about Mental health. Um, I know, it, you know, it's, it is a bit different today. You know, schools are starting to talk about it, but it's not enough. Mm. Um, and, I'm, and we're seeing more and more young people uh, with, with mental health um, issues and, and not getting the help they need. So mm. the charity is all about um, providing, yeah, education and, and support to not just to not just to young people, uh, but also to teachers, because that's a real that's a, that's a real need. And also families as well, because... Um, you know, my family had no idea, no no clue about how to address what was going mm. on. And yeah, it was so difficult. It was so mm. difficult for my family and um, particularly my parents. And they didn't know where to turn or what to do or how to talk about it. So Bless them. <laughs> I know it was tough. So Beyond Shame, Beyond Sigma is also for families as well. OK, just, which is just, fantastic. Yeah. Nobody else seemed to be making like a beeline for him, like people were looking and I was thinking, am I going to talk to him, what am I going to say? felt like I'd been given a life sentence and I thought that I'd never get better. The main thing was just going in my mind, you have the option to ignore it, walk on or do something about it. When, when he walked through the door, I was just a bag of nerves. I've never been so scared in my whole life. Hiya. How are you doing? Good. I'm alright. How are you? I'm alright. Yeah? I'm alright. you? Good. I didn't instantly recognise him, but there was something there. There was something that was familiar about him as he approached me. I saw you on the TV. Yeah, I saw you speaking on the TV. Don't be nervous, honestly. And then it was when we sat down and began talking. There was a moment when everything just came back to me and I could see him there on that bridge and and there he was now in front of me, and it was just overwhelming. It's just unbelievable, because, oh my gosh, like, you know... Do you, do you remember me? Yeah, now I've seen you, like, it's all coming back. Really? He's standing inside of me, and, um... He definitely said, it's all coming back now, and I can remember your mannerisms, and I can remember your voice, and, you know, I can see you. You can tell, like, he, he just, he understands, and he doesn't judge, and just sits there with his kind of this big smile and uh, 
think everyone could do with a friend like Neil. So let's go back to the uh, the Channel 4 documentary. Um, you eventually got to meet Hashtag Mike, mm. which was uh, Neil. Yeah. Um, what was that they like? I mean, obviously, we did get to to watch yeah. the, the actual meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you'd already done it. and said, Let's just do it again. <laughs> Put a bit of... <laughs> <laughs> no, it was... Um... It was it was all genuine, and I was I was so nervous. I was really nervous because we were was, all gunning for you, honestly. It was well, such an incredibly strong, moving scene well, to be privileged to watch yeah. r- really happen. You know, well, for me, I mean, I always felt I shouldn't be watching. Do you know what I mean? Uh, really, it's interesting. Well, yeah. in, in a nice way. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, the thing was, there was cameras all around, and that was that made yeah. me nervous. Very weird. You know, as it as it as it was, but then for this guy to walk in and, um, you know, in my head, I was thinking, what if I what if I can't remember him? Um, you know, what if it, what if it's just the blank? You know, I'm talking to him, and it's just the blank. Um, was it instant when you saw him? No, when I saw him. Interesting. Um, I was just a fluster. I was so flustered uh, when I when I when he walked into the room. I, I was I was too I was too flustered. I couldn't know. But it was when we finally sat down, and it was actually he began to um, he began to talk, and he began to uh, 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 gesticulate, and he was he was he was making these gestures with his hands, sure. and it was weird. Like everything came back when he started making these gestures. Um, yeah, it was very, it was very strange. It was very, yeah, very. I've never had anything like it where uh, this memory just unlocked, and I saw him there again, and, and uh, the bridge, and it all came back, and it, it was really, yeah, it was really special. It was really mm-hmm. special. But then halfway through, because um, <laughs> we we were filming in this uh, upstairs in a pub mm-hmm. in um, in uh, Vauxhall, and. Okay. Um, there was this lorry that started reversing and the started beep, you know, beep, beep, beep. And it was really, you know, we were talking, it was very emotional. And then suddenly we had to stop because uh, this, and it would, it, this lorry oh, kept reversing for ages. And, um, but, it, you know, we laugh about it. We laugh about it. And um, Yeah, hold that emotion just fair. Just, <laughs> just wait for a minute. <laughs> it was, seriously, it was like that. It was like that. It was very, um, yeah, but it was, it was just such, and, and we both forgot the cameras were there, to be honest. Um, you know, we were so engrossed in in our in our conversation, we forgot that the cameras were were present. And um, yeah, it was really it was really special. It was really special. Yeah, it was. It is so lovely to see both of you. Thanks, thank you. Gosh, Thanks. it really is. And the stranger on the bridge. This is a remarkable story. I mean, it's a remarkable story anyway. It's one of those stories you think one day will get turned into a movie. Well, that's what you said. You I know. Said do you remember? You said, uh, Daniel Craig. You said Neil should play Daniel Craig should play Neil. Exactly. And Dominic Cooper uh, should play me. But well, it's not we, happened yet. Well, it will. So we'll, just, we'll make it happen. We'll make it we happen, really yeah. will. No, because it is. It's an amazing story, and it continues. It's not the end of the story. Absolutely. The story. The story does go on. And what I do like about this is again, you know, it was talking to Michelle. It's the the honesty of it. Mm. There's no point in writing a book about like this if you're not going to be honest about it. But this really will help people. I hope so. You've now written the book, The Stranger on the Bridge, yeah. which is its just wonderful. I mean, it's just such a, a story of such bravery and overcoming such incredible odds to be where you are today. You you had, um, I think somebody was involved in the writing with you. Mm. So, yeah, my, co- my co-writer, Britt, um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it on my own. It was too, it was too difficult to go, to go back and, and, and go back over everything on my own. And, you know, I, I, I kept this diary. I kept a diary from when I was about... 
can't remember, 10, 11. Mm. Um, and I had books and books and books and books of diaries through my illness, essentially. And I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go back and read those on my own. And they were, they were tough. They were tough to read. I mean, I think. And presumably nobody had looked at them before. No, apart from I, you. no, no, I hadn't, I hadn't opened them up. I was too, uh, well, I just, I just, I, no, I just wasn't ready mm. to open them up. But we, we obviously, I, we went through the diaries, myself and Brit, throughout the duration of writing the book. And it was, um, yeah, it was it was really enlightening. It was really I, I you know, I always say to people, if you kept a diary growing up, you should always go back and read it because it's so I'm a di- I'm such a different person now and you know, we do we we all change so much, I think, particularly through our teenage years. It's such a all the hormones raging, you know, it's such a it's a difficult time. So I always say to people, you know, if you've written if you've written a diary, go back and, and read it and just see it's so enlightening. My mum used to write a page a day, like really? a big, big page a day. But really? uh, I don't I quite have the stamina to do that. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it takes commitment. It does mm. take commitment. I did it for about a month about in the, the 80s. So it's quite amusing looking back at that. Oh, have you looked back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, um, I'm, I'm trying to drop hints about things like the sexuality without actually writing it in in case my mum looked at it, yeah. which she did once because she's oh, a gosh, bit nosy. Really? <laughs> But it was all right. Just I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sure. They were fine about it. It's all good. Just, it's all a bit cringy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It's, it is. I it mean, is. it's not even the gay thing. It's just like I don't want to talk about. Even I if know, like, yeah, I had a girlfriend, it's like I just yeah. want to talk about that no, with you guys, no. you know? Or it's I don't so want to personal. think about you guys doing that sort of stuff. No, it's so personal. <laughs> it's so but it's so cringe, personal. cringe, cringe. Yeah. <laughs> Scratch and sniff. With Nick Randall. Going back to the book again, did you find it a very cathartic exercise? Yeah, yeah, really, really, really cathartic. Um, d- yeah, difficult at times. I mean, difficult, but yeah, really, really cathartic. Um, yeah, I mean, um, there, there were things in the book that I hadn't told anyone, actually. Uh, and so for it to all finally be out, in the open, uh, particularly things around my sexuality that I still hadn't talked to people about. Um, oh, it was just such a... I mean, I was really nervous. I was so nervous when the book was coming out, and particularly when my parents... Uh, I, I made sure that they got a copy before anyone else. I wanted them to to read it before anyone else, really, because there was, yeah, things in there that they didn't know about. And so... Um, yeah, that, it was it was cathartic, but it was it was nerve wracking because you know ev- everything everything is now out in the open, and I don't think there was anything in your book that would make them love you less anyway, more if anything. Yeah, I mean, no, they, they they've been amazing, um, and all, yeah, everyone, my friends and my family, I'm, I'm again, I'm extremely lucky. Um, everyone's been really supportive, but yeah, there were things in there that that people didn't know about, and you know, some people were quite shocked by certain oh, things that I said but I'm glad I mean no no regrets no regrets at all um yeah I just I, I just I feel relieved that cleansed a bit yeah 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 for sure mm, for sure excellent yeah definitely definitely you're listening to SNS online with me Nick Randall and my very special guest for the week Mr Johnny Benjamin And if you'd like to comment on this or any other show, then please like our Facebook and Twitter pages, SNS Online, where you can get involved and keep up with announcements for future guests. All of our shows are on the SNS Online SoundCloud page, and you can also privately message us on snsonlineshow at gmail.com. And finally, 
All our shows are available on iTunes. So uh, after that meeting, how did things develop from there? Because obviously, you know, you, you've now established yourselves uh, as, a, as a team going mm. around speaking to schools and prisons and all sorts. Mm, yeah, no, I mean, it was... Um... Did it all happen quite quickly? No, it didn't actually. So Neil was still working as a personal trainer and um, I was working for Rethink Mental Illness, the charity. And then, well, to be honest, I became unwell after the whole campaign. I I wasn't looking after myself and um, the campaign and the TV documentary was such a high. It was a real high. And then I kind of came crashing down after that. And so I wasn't well for a period. Um, but then about... 2016, I think it was. So two years after we actually were reunited, we started getting these requests to come in and talk at you know, NHS and schools and yeah, prisons. And we were like, well, okay, we've, we've got a story and, and, you know, hopefully we can inspire others. So let's, mm. let's do it. And that was the beginning of us kind of working together. And, and Neil quit his job as a personal trainer. That's um, amazing he did that. Yeah, absolutely. It feels very... Um, it's been very natural, which is lovely. It's mm. Nothing's been forced. It's just mm. kind of happened of its own accord. Um, but yeah, he quit personal training and we kind of went on tour around the country mm. to talk to different yeah businesses and universities and all different sorts of people. And it's been, um, w- yeah, we've been sharing our story now for, we've done so many, I can't, hundreds and hundreds of mm. talks. Um, but you've been going around the world with it. Yeah, yeah, we have. Um uh, US, uh, Lithuania, we've been to a few times. I don't know why they, they seem to really like our story in <laughs> Lithuania, uh, which is it's wonderful. Um, but yeah, doing work in, in the US and um, a few, yeah, this, this year, the 2019, actually, we've got a few different countries we're, we're going to. People just, you know, people, the story is, I, I suppose it's quite, quite powerful um, and, and people want to hear it. They, they want mm-hmm. to hear. Um, not just someone opening up about their, their mental health, but a story of friendship, I suppose, mm. and particularly in the times that we're, we're living in. It's, uh, you know, there's so much um, uncertainty and, and, and you know, there's, there's a lot of tension in, mm. in society. And um, and people, it's, it's an uplifting story, I hope. Um, so people, people, people want to hear that. Um, and it's a real privilege to go around and to, to talk to people. And and often, you know, people will share with us, you know, what's happened to them. And I, I, it really opened up my eyes when, when we started doing our, our talks, you know, mental health. I mean, it affects, if I'm honest, I think it affects uh, everyone. Even if it's not you yourself personally, you'll know someone that's been affected by uh, mental health issues. And that affects you, you know, it's such a... It, and, and suicide as well. I mean, I... I I, 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 again, really opened up my eyes. The amount of people that are affected by suicide, um, again, loved ones or friends or colleagues, you know, it, it's very tragic, you know, mm. all these stories that you, you hear. And we'll be back with Johnny in a couple of minutes. It's basically about these incredibly brave, brilliant, extraordinary young women aged mainly between 18 and 28 who flew planes to the front line during World War II. Do you think Emily Davison wanted to kill herself that day? All her journalism is about martyrdom and fire and sacrifice and nobility and awakenings. 
It just reads like one long suicide note. I think she really meant to do it. Because I wanted the world to get better, and I knew it couldn't get better if it's going to be ruled by men. Matter of fact, I think it's amazing how well the men did for 2,000 years, considering they tried to do it alone. I really feel that all the things about being gay can help us as adopters because we know what it's like to feel different and we can share that with our children and I think the level of empathy is, is quite unique and important. I thought to myself, well, if this is a twice-weekly programme uh, and going on throughout the year, um, I should be editor. So I gave myself uh, the, the job, as it were, and had it um, on the credits and nobody queried it. It was extraordinary. Girls in the Women's Auxiliary Air Force are being called upon to handle many of the responsible jobs which were previously entrusted only to RAF mechanics and ground staff. And they flew without radar, without sometimes without training on that particular plane. You know, they'd have learnt on a tiger moth and they'd be given a spitfire. I don't think it did help me get a play rise, <laughs> but, the po- but, 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 but the point was, I suppose children's programmes were regarded as so insignificant, nobody bothered what went on. Pauline Gower was the woman who spearheaded it. She got equal pay for equal work. Yes, the first woman ever very, in Britain very to do it. In and the we are at the moment. still fighting that battle in 2018. <laughs> How does that happen? Rise Up Women, a special season of shows exclusive to SNS Online. I found your book, I, I, I found it very interesting, but I could relate to quite a lot of yeah, stuff. Sure. Now, obviously, I don't have a particular condition, so mm. I'm not even going to pre- pretend that I, you know, I understand. I can only sort of use my imagination and sure. read what you've said. But a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of different issues, like being a little bit of a loner, but mm. I was quite shy, yeah. and um, issues like sexuality, yeah. and also little weird things like feeling like I was being looked at on the street. I still have stuff like mm. that. But, but my point is that it was really helpful as a self-help book to mm. to read um, your, your sort of journey. And if I felt like that, then I'm sure so many other people w- would be getting so much from your book, not necessarily people who would just have particular conditions, yeah. but just the general population. Well, I think oh, that's that's really good to hear. I think that was the the hope of the book because... Um, that was a very long, rambling compliment. No, not, but at we, all, no, yeah. not at all. No, 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 not at all. But that's the thing. I mean, um, so many people have said to me um, when they've read the book, oh, I, I get these thoughts or mm. I've had these feelings and our brains are so uh, <laughs> complex. Yeah. And um, uh, I don't know why, but over the last few days, I've been really kind of addicted to Instagram and looking at everyone's um, <laughs> mm. amazing lifestyles. <laughs> um, it's all lies. Well, yeah. Apart from my one, that's... <laughs> <laughs> but no, but seriously, that's... It's so rare, I think, that I love conversations where, you know, people are really open and honest and vulnerable. I think, you know, that's what we're missing is is the vulnerability, I think, mm. um, and the honesty. Uh, you know, again, with, with things like Instagram, you just see one side of people's lives, you know. Um, so... And are they happier for it in the long term for putting out some airbrush picture? I know, I am... Um, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's a difficult one. Social media is a whole other like you know, but um, yeah, I think I think particularly I love going into schools because young people are more open and honest actually than when we talk to adults because you know they've got less filter. Young people, I think, and so um, you know, young people will open up about all their weird and wonderful thoughts and feelings, and it's great. That's that's 
That's exactly great. what and you need, isn't it? it to is, to it get, really kick, is. kickstart a proper conversation. Yeah, and you know, um, I talk to so many people that have thoughts about um, whether it's you know intrusive thoughts about you know if you're walking down the stairs, you, you think about oh, if I just push this person, if I just, or if you're on if you're on the tube, you know, on the underground, and so many people have had the thought, well, if I just jumped in front of, or if I just pushed that. And these are thoughts. They're just thoughts. And, you know... Um, I can tell you one of up. mine, actually. Sorry, just to butt no, in. No, and I find this really strange because mm. it's not like I'm looking to curtail my life. But there have mm. been times, and I, I get a bit of vertigo, but there's times mm. when I, I'm looking over something and I know that I could, mm-hmm. could jump. Yeah. And for some bizarre reason, I... I'm scared, but I might yeah, do. And I start I backing away. Yeah. Up in Salford, the BBC in Salford, yeah. there's, a, there's, there's big drops there. And yeah. I, I remember a friend showing me around and I thought, I thought, I just, I, thought, I just need to walk mm. away from here. And yeah. I, that was really strange. I mean, I'm sure I wouldn't. I mean, no, that was, but, but I wonder if any people do just for weird reasons like that. I, I think it's really common. I think it's, re- I think it's so common. We just don't talk about it. Terrifying. Again, it's, it's, the, it's the mind. The, the, the brain is, mm. and you know, I've, 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 I've had quite a lot of therapy and um, I've come to learn and understand a bit more about the brain and uh, it's just so complex all the thoughts all the feelings that we have and um but the thing is i think those types of thoughts they're just so common we just don't talk about it again we we all kind of (laughs) show our best selves to everyone but if we all digged a bit deeper i think and if we were all able to be more honest and vulnerable you know i think uh i think we'd find more sort of um commonality if we all were able mm. to be more yeah. i tend to wear all my faults on my sleeve because i just think well people probably know anyway so it's better just to sort of make a joke about yeah. <laughs> stuff like that and hopefully I'll, they'll take pity on me you know? no i think that's good i think that's good i think that's what we need though i mean um i, I really do i again i i, I try and be i try and always try and be honest um i mean sometimes it's hard though you know if you know i'm, I'm lucky my, my therapist that i have now i'm able to tell him about every Thought every everything that goes on in my head, mm. um, but I, that can be hard. That can be really mm. difficult. Um, particularly, I think certain professions. You know, I think uh, you know you've got to appear a certain way, or, or even in cultures, you've got to appear this this certain way. And so it's it, it can be really difficult for people mm. to be to be honest and 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 actually, you know, again, traveling around around the world. Gosh, I think we we're quite lucky here in the UK because some cultures, you know, you don't dare talk about your thoughts, your feelings, your mm. what goes on in your head. You just you just don't talk about it. Do you think that's one of the next big revolutions that's coming? I hope so. I really hope so. Um, I mean, in some parts of the world, it's just. Uh, well, I, I went to India um, yes. to do some work um, a couple of years ago, and that was that was really kind of wow. That was really revealing. I saw people you know, chained up for having, you know, mental health issues. And um, gosh, I mean, oh, there's, there's so much, there's so much work to do. There is so much work to do. I mean, even here, there's there's so much work to do in the UK, but around the world, so much work to do in terms of, you know, uh, understanding and treatment. I mean, treatment, yeah, gosh. Mm. Um, and research, you know, we're so far behind, I think, in terms of research about mm. mental health. So, this kind of revolution is is needed. It's really needed. Um, uh, we've still got a long way to go, I think. It's, it's, it's going back to, you know, your stay in hospital when I felt there should have been a kneel on the ward, you know, because, I mean, if I had an operation last year to have mm. my burst appendix removed and there were people flocking all around me, mm. you know, and um, 
I, d- I just don't quite understand. I mean, I understand on a funding level, but, mm. but beyond that, I really feel that there's even somebody who can just give 20 minutes of their time and go around to talk to everybody. I think it's, um, I think, you know, I, I, I do work with, with the NHS and, 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 and talk to trainee uh, psychiatrists and mental health nurses. And uh, I think so much of it is learned kind of through textbook. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, when I go in and I talk to um, people at university, they're so, so appreciative of someone coming in and sharing their story because mm-hmm. it's quite rare that they actually have that um, it, it, when they're learning, when they're training. You know, they they learn things uh, just yeah from from a textbook, and it's so important that they hear real stories. You know, real people because they're dealing with with real people, not yeah. what's in a textbook. So, yeah, I think there's a lot that can change, um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot of lot of work. <laughs> lot of work. SNS Online presents the soundtrack of your life. So for me, I think firstly, and I talk about this a lot in the book, but. Um, uh, Amy Winehouse. Uh, she was um, well. She was a big part of my uh, journey, I suppose. Um, and it was hearing her her song "Rehab" that really I'd never heard someone be so honest and uh, vulnerable in a in a in a song before. And um, I remember when I first heard "Rehab," I was standing in a, a shop. I think it was New Look. I think. Uh, I think it was you look, and um, have you ever no had... flies on you then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, have you have you ever had a, a, a thing where you hear a piece of music and you just you, you're glued to the spot and you have to listen to it all the way through? Mm. And I've never had that before. And when I heard rehab, I was like, oh my goodness! Like I have to, I I need to know what this song is, who this artist is, and um, yeah, I, I think for me, rehab was. It was just so. It, it's such a. It's such a. I think it's such a brave and honest and and yeah, vulnerable song. And you don't get many songs like that. They tried to make me go to rehab. I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, no, no, no. I ain't got the time. And if my daddy thinks I'm fine.
still find situations when people are reluctant or just you know plain uncomfortable to talk about mental health, even in 2019? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I come across it. I, the positive thing is that I come across it less and less. Um, you know, when I go into schools and I talk about mental health, sometimes it's the first time that young people have been exposed to it or, or young people talk about it themselves. And it's actually, um, it's, it's, I've had some instances where <laughs> some, someone will come up to me, not just in schools, but someone will come up to me and, um, they'll say, uh, oh, you know, well done. And, 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 and thank you for the work you do. And, and there's this really long pause and, um, you can tell that they want to talk, you know, say something about, themselves and um but they just they just hold back and I try and sort of encourage them to 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 open up and I remember one one young boy I was talking to and uh, you know he he was just so you could just see he was desperate to 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 talk about what was going on for him but he just couldn't and um it was difficult because there was a queue of people behind him waiting to talk to me and I was oh. trying to do as much as I could to, to, you know, maybe help him to to talk, but he just couldn't. And and um, he was just like, right, okay, I'll thank you and goodbye. And uh, but you know, I I I hope that. But that might start them well, off on something. You never know. This is it. You this can't is help it. everybody, but you can just do your best to seed something. Yeah, and... this is it. This is it. Um, yeah, I mean, I always find it really fascinating people's responses, particularly in. Um, when I've gone to other countries, particularly in in the US, I think um, I've done quite a bit of work in, in New York and um, they're actually, believe it or not, a bit further behind than we are. Um, Strange. Well, well the era of Trump, perhaps not. <laughs> well, I mean, there's so much, yeah. But that's really, you know, I've done talks there and people will come up and say, I've never heard anyone talk about mental health at all. And this is, um, yeah, it could be uncomfortable and it can be... Um, I just open up a lot of stuff for people. Mm. It's so interesting. It really is. It's so interesting what happens when, um, when I talk about mental health and and what responses. It's so so fascinating. Really, but in the world of you know all our amazing media and social media, that's surely got to sort of um, light the flame for getting us talking more. Yeah, as a nation, you know, mm. win the world. Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, definitely. I just yeah, for sure. I I, I just think now. You know the the treatments are still inadequate, and then and, and you know things like waiting lists mm. for treatment and um, oh, there's there's uh, yeah funding. I mean, gosh, yeah, yeah we, could, we could be on this all night. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's still it does it feels frustrating at times because it feels like we're moving forwards in some ways in terms of mental health, but in other ways it feels like we're almost moving backwards, mm. and so that feels very. Yeah, very frustrating. I mean, I was going to ask you about all the drugs that are prescribed to, mm. to people. I mean, apparently Britain's teenagers are being given more and more antidepressant mm. drugs every year. Um, are some people taking drugs when other things might work better? Because obviously all drugs carry side effects. Well, <laughs> I mean, the difficulty is, 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 is getting therapy. It's really hard to, to get therapy here on the NHS. Um you know, you'll be on a waiting list for a long time. Um, and then maybe you're offered uh, group therapy and not everyone's comfortable with group therapy. Or maybe you're offered 
telephone therapy. And again, you know, not everyone's, it's such a one size fits all when it comes to mental health here. And well, not just here, but everywhere around the world. It's, um, it's, there's a real lack of options, I think. And, um, I speak to people all the time and it's so rare to hear someone say, well, you know, I, I got the help I needed. It's so rare to, to hear that. And that's quite sad, actually. Um, I speak to a lot of families who, yeah, they just, they, they, they cannot get the help and support and understanding and it doesn't so surprise I, me. I know drugs can help in, oh, in certain yeah, conditions. Absolutely. I mean, I have a friend who, who I think I wrote it down somewhere, what, what he was taking, but mm. it was um, some form, mild form of antidepressant, mm. sort of serotonin linked, I think. Yeah. And um, it, it did seem to, to, oh, to, yeah. to, to help, but, but, oh. but it was a mild dose. And, mm. and, and this person I know uh, was, was worried, but he didn't want to take anything too much. Yeah, um, yeah So he but it was quite sort of realistic yeah. about it. Whereas I think the doctors might have given him you know more. Well, I, I, you know, look for me. I, I take, I still take medication, and the medication has has been effective for me. But in conjunction with with therapy, you know, medication, I think it only goes so far. You, unless you really, it's through through therapy that I've come to understand and get insight. You know, into what goes on in 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 my head, and I think everyone needs and deserves that. You know, it's not just all about the the medication. Um, although, yeah, medication does it does help it does help, but it can't just be that. Can't. Hopefully, the future will be very Star Trek like with lots of Councillor Troys, yeah. you know, because I think that's what we need. Yeah. yeah. Not in those jumpsuits, though. <laughs> no, not the jumpsuits. <laughs> Definitely not the jumpsuits, oh, no. No, I'm not sitting in the tea shop for once. I'm actually at home in my favourite place to be right now, in my bed. I've decided to write daily again, in a bid to improve relations with myself. Lord knows. It's going to take a lot of work. I've given up on finding Prince Charming, which is good, as there is no such thing. Nope, my aim is to love myself, all by myself. And so I start. All my love, Johnny. One lovely thing I really liked was that you you wrote a loving, kind letter to yourself, which I thought was so sweet. It was, it's sort of, you know, we all can be our own worst enemies when it comes to self-criticism. <laughs> and to, to to do something like that seems a really good a, a tool, if you like, apart from anything else, to, just to make you realise that you're okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, I have something actually which is called um, compassion-focused therapy, which is all about cultivating self-compassion and, and compassion for others as well. And, that's been incredibly useful because um, oh, in my 20s, particularly, I was really, I mean, I was I was just so, I was self-loathing in my 20s and self-destructive and, um, yeah, a, a real lack of, 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 of self-compassion. Um, and through doing things like, yeah, self-reflection and through, like, gratitude, gratitude journaling, um it's, it has helped. I mean, I, I but I need to maintain it because um, it's very easy for me to fall back down that kind of um, rabbit hole of self. Um, but criticism. you're lovely, mate. Well, <laughs> but that's the thing. We, but we always see our our own worst flaw. Oh no! You know, but we, I think I'm fantastic too. No, oh, I'm good. No, <laughs> no, good. no, no, no. I, I'm being a bit. <laughs> But no, but no, that's I a, have stuff to deal with. But it's not it's not on a, on the level you have. Yeah. Because it's not a condition as such. It's just no, it's just sure. life, I think. No, but I, I think um again, and this is why I think, you know, if we started in schools, mm. you know, um 
Yeah. In absolutely. schools, you know, in schools we're taught absolutely. everything from our, you know, times tables to mm. the, the um, see, I can't even remember anything. Um, all sorts of different things we are fill, fill our heads in mm. schools, but not on how to look after ourselves, mm. you know, in a, in, a, in a kind and compassionate way. And we're taught to be, particularly in the UK, I think, well, not just the UK, but we're taught mm. to be, um, you know, so kind and, and helpful to other people and selfless, but no one ever teaches us to be a bit selfish mm. and self-care. And mm. I think that's really missing mm. in our society. And um, But I think, yeah, I think we can all, you know, if, if I can, um, I really thought I could never get out of the spiral of kind of self-hate. Um, but, you know, if I can do that, then I think anyone can. So you would describe your life as happier now? Yeah, I mean, at times, I think, you know, I I go through, it's a bit of a roller coaster. I go through highs, I go through lows. Um, and um, I just, I know that if I if I look after my mental health and I... I, I take my medication, I do my therapy, I, I do my mindfulness. Mindfulness is a big help to me. Um, I know that if I look after my mental health, then I'll be on a good good path. But mm. I, you know, I don't always <laughs> manage to look after my, my mental health as I, as I should. I mean, are um, you more prepared for the possibility of another uh, relapse, episode relapse? And how do you actually prepare for that? What are your survival strategies to deal with it? And, you know, friends to know yeah. the, the signs, etc.? Oh yeah, I am. I'm definitely more prepared. I think I'm more prepared now that I can get through it. Because in the past, when I had a relapse, I was like, "Oh, this is this is a disaster." And I'm, I'm, am I ever going to get well again? So, so it's almost like point one, like one to ten. Like I have got a telephone number. I call that number. I speak to that person. Uh, you know, just automatically, just at least do that, even if you can't think of anything else. Yeah, so. I mean, again, I I sort of. Uh, you know, if it was a physical health thing, you know, if I broke my arm I'd, mm. or broke my leg, I'd immediately go and get help. But I still have this thing of, uh, oh, come on, just got to get on with it. And, you know, still this this kind of self... Um, you still have that. A bit of self-stigma mm. still, if I'm honest. Um, but I'm better. I'm much better now. You know, I'll, I'll speak to my psychiatrist. I'll tell my parents. I'll, I'll talk to my friends. I'll be honest. I'll, I'll take a step back from work. And, you know, I'll just... I will... I try. I try and be more honest. Mm. Yeah, um, I think, and also you mustn't be too hard on yourself because obviously you've got so many. Uh, you, you've always got these appointments and things. You're seeing a school, you're doing this, mm, and occasionally mm. you're going to have to cancel some of those because you're just having a bit of a time when you, yeah. you can't do that. What worries me that you you know you're going to give yourself a really bad time about that. I'm, everybody's going to understand. So mm. just you know think on. <laughs> thank you. No, thank you. No, I know. I. I Again, the whole thing of us being our own worst enemies. And, and, you know, again, like I said, if it was a physical, if, if I had flu mm. and I was in bed, you know, I just, I'd, I'd, of course I'd have to miss certain things. But when it comes mm. to my mental health, I'm like, well, just get through it. You just, just mm. get through it. And, um, yeah, I need oh, yeah. to. That's uh, all good. I need to, because um, I'm preaching, you know, oh, you know, look after your mental health, but then I'm, what's, what's, yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. always. Our own worst enemies. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, your um, MBE, which is fantastic, and, and and congratulations on that. I know it was a little while ago now, mm. but um, that must have been um, 
a nice sort of almost like full stop from that day on the bridge. It was a shock. It was a massive shock. I mean, um, I just got this letter one day um, saying, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, we'd like to award you an MBE. And it was, it was just such a, it was a real shock. And um, I mean, in a, in a really positive, really positive way. And uh, it was, it was, um, I think the ceremony, I just, I, I don't think it really sunk in, to be honest, until the actual I think I read you 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 had some so that you were struggling a little bit around yeah. that time, which obviously you know made it a bit. Well, I, I I was in hospital just before. I didn't know if I'd make the ceremony because I was in hospital the week before, um, but I made the ceremony, and and I mean that was a, again a very surreal experience. Um, yeah, very 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 surreal. Very very, <laughs> um, but it was amazing. I mean, um, uh, Prince William. Uh, gave me my my MBE and um, oh that's so cool yeah I mean any he, but he's just so I've met him um, I met him a few times now and he's just he's just so down to earth and lovely and um, warm and kind and um, so so I was delighted when I found out that he was giving me the MBE and um, we had a really lovely chat actually when I was when he was giving me the MBE and um, Neil came with which was really special and. Um, <laughs> Prince William asked, you know, where's oh, where's where's Neil? And um, I I pointed to him in the in the crowd, and you know, everyone looked around, and they were like, what? Um, it was a re- again a real, yeah, really a, a really special moment, not just for me but for my family as well. I mean, absolutely, yeah, a real real proud moment. Oh, yeah, that's real, that's, that's just wonderful. The Royals are on a mission to raise awareness of mental health care. Kate Middleton and Prince William met with Johnny Benjamin, a man who almost attempted suicide before being stopped by a good Samaritan. How long did it all take them to sort of put all that together? It was a re- really quick. It was, uh, yeah, we didn't have long. It was just kind of like a... It was only two weeks since we launched the campaign, since yeah. Neil came forwards. I'm just interested how you, what was it going through your head Neil, when you first saw Johnny and how to, you know, how to talk to him down or talk to him? Why is he there? Should I talk to him? Should I not? And then it's that time when you actually walk past, you just have to make a decision. And the question comes up about, like, should you intervene or should you say something? But it's, it's already a critical situation. You know yourself, don't you? You get thrown into situations and um, with, with the work you do. I think that's it's in all of us. A little bit kind of sometimes feel a bit ill-equipped to deal with such a serious situation. But actually, we really want to, but we just don't quite know how to reach out to help. Just reaching out in itself is probably the first step, isn't it? Johnny and Neil meeting Prince William and Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, for the very first time. I also wanted to share with you a couple of short extracts of a speech they both made to students at Bristol University when they were bestowed with honorary degrees in 2018. For two reasons. One, it highlights the bond between them. And two, it just highlights how lovely they both are. Finally, uh, to Johnny um, and his family. Johnny's dad, Michael, who uh, is kind of like a, you know, a, a big role model as well and, and has treated me like a son ever since I've known Michael in the past four years. He's got a few Christmas presents to catch up on, but we'll talk about that. And, and his wonderful mum, uh, Helen, also, again, it just feels like I've inherited another family and lastly but not leastly uh, Johnny Benjamin who four years ago as you heard we met as strangers and now we we are best friends more than anything else and 
it's been an absolute pleasure to share this journey with you and he constantly, constantly inspires me, as you've heard of the great work he's done, to, to, to keep on going on this journey with him. Um, so in the immortal words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. I never had a graduation actually. I, I, I did a degree, but I never made it to my graduation ceremony. So uh, this feels very, very special indeed. Um, together, we've both done so much work. We've, we've worked with uh, the Young Royal Family, uh, run marathons, traveled around the world, but this is an uh, absolute highlight. And again, just a, a huge privilege for, for both of us. To all of you, a massive congratulations. Uh, I know how, how hard you've worked to get here. Um, and I wish you every success not just in your careers, but uh, in life as well. Um, I know many of you are 20, 21, and when I was your age, I was uh, diagnosed with, with this form of schizophrenia, and I really thought that my life was over. But uh, actually, it was... Sorry. <laughs> it, it was uh, the beginning. Um, uh, I overcame that adversity, and if I can overcome any adversity, then, then you can as well. So, always remember that. Thank you. Let's uh, just talk, you know, because we're coming to the end of it now, about sort of recent initiatives, things you've been in, getting involved with, or charities that you'd like to flag up that you're, mm. you, you, you're involved with at the moment. Uh, do you know, there's so many amazing charities out there. There's so many incredible charities and initiatives and ideas and um well something actually for me i learned about recently is um is, there's a there's a tool which is called um the hub of hope mm. and uh, the hub of hope is um it's a database of 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 all the local mental health charities and, and organizations and support groups and it's an amazing tool so you 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 go on the the website or there's an app and you type in your postcode or you you click uh, locate me and it just it brings up all your all your local help and support and I just think that is that's that's amazing. It's this young guy called Jake in Liverpool who started this up all on his just by himself. It's amazing and and um, it's a really 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 great tool because a lot of people they just don't know where to turn. That's the thing. Um, so this is an actual app you can get. Yeah, so, a, so what's it called? It's called the Hub of Hope. Hub of Hope. Hub of Hope. Yeah, it's a really just fantastic tool because, um, yeah, people do not know where to go. You know, again, you'd know where to go if you had a broken arm, but go to A&E. But, you know, what if you're having a, a really bad time, you know, real bad anxiety? Where where do you go, you know? And also, if you don't feel you want to talk to anybody, yeah. at least you can do this and hide your app, you know, yeah. some bury it somehow yeah. <laughs> with all the other ones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're listening to Johnny Benjamin on SNS Online. And as Johnny is such a lovely and modest chap, I thought I would sneakily take this opportunity to list some of the many achievements that he and his partner in crime, the equally lovely Neil Laybourne, have achieved since that chance meeting at Waterloo Bridge in 2008. So listen on in, dear readers, because you might learn something. Johnny is on the Sunday Times Alternative Rich List, a celebration of 30 people in the UK who have enriched themselves by striving to make the world a better place in their own unique and positive way. Johnny has written for publications and websites including the BBC, The Guardian and The Huffington Post. 
A book of Johnny's poetry that was written when he was 20 and in hospital was published in 2012, entitled Pill After Pill, Poems from a Schizophrenic Mind. In 2013, Johnny was awarded the first annual Jane Lee Antonou Award by the mental health charity Rethink Mental Illness for his YouTube vlogging. His videos have been watched by over half a million people whilst being shared on social media by the likes of Stephen Fry and being used as an educational tool in schools and universities. Other awards include the Making of a Difference Award from Mind in 2015 and the Points of Light Award from the Prime Minister in 2016. Johnny and Neil have both given talks at schools, universities, conferences, hospitals, prisons and workplaces. Johnny has also won LGBTQ-related awards from Attitude magazine and Pink News for his campaigning, as well as getting the prestigious Topland Award from Jewish Care in 2016 to celebrate his achievements volunteering in the Jewish community to reduce the stigma of mental illness. In 2017, Johnny launched Hashtag Think Well, a mental health education programme developed for secondary schools across the UK. Johnny was recently awarded the President's Medal from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. Both Johnny and Neil founded the charity Beyond Shame, Beyond Stigma, helping to break down walls surrounding young people's mental health. Johnny is also a film producer, creating and presenting a BBC Three documentary in 2013 for their mental health season, It's a Mad World. He also became a producer at Postcard Productions in 2015 and helped to make the acclaimed Channel 4 documentary The Stranger on the Bridge, referenced earlier on. Neil Laybourne has won the Pride of Britain Award for his help in saving Johnny's life in 2008. Both got honorary degrees in Bristol University. Oh, and there was that MBE as well. Clearly well-deserved. And for anything else Johnny and Neil related, go to Johnny's website, which is johnnybenjamin.co.uk. Are you enjoying life day by day, you know, on a more regular basis now than perhaps you were before? <laughs> um, I, I hope you are. I, no, I... It depends. It depends. It depends on my state of mind. That's the thing. Mm. Um, I am. I mean, I. I you know. I mean, grand- do, you, do you get a chance just to just to forget about all this and just like just be regular guy going going down to have well, a few drinks with with your mates? That, that's the thing. I've been um, the last few years. I've, I've been really really wrapped up in my in my in my work, and um, I um, at some points I've almost kind of uh, forgotten to live. Um, because you can't, you can't, there's so much work to do. Um, and I want to, hey, I want to do everything. Um, you know, there's so many things I want to do in, in, in schools. And then there's, I mean, prisons, I mean, prisons is a whole other area that I, yeah, need to, need to work on. But yeah, that's the thing. I've, I've become so wrapped up in my work and, um, I kind of forgot to, to... You've got the smell of flowers occasionally, mate. Know, right, right. <laughs> well, I, 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 honestly, in the last few years, I've kind of, uh, you know, things like I was doing, you know, before I was doing yoga and I was going on like regular hikes and because I live in London, getting out of London, I think. Uh, oh, God, it's such a tonic just to escape. It really is. It really is. It really is. And um, I'd, I'd I'd been so wrapped up in work that I'd been missing out on life. Yeah. And I think it's, well, it's easy to do that if you're. You can forget sometimes, can't you? Yeah, especially if you're so passionate about yeah. something. And I'm, this is 
so passionate about this area, want to help so many people kind of, yeah, have got so wrapped up in it. So now 2019, um, I'm really looking to fit in more time for, for me. And um, Just give yourself the odd week off, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, the odd day. <laughs> well, this is, I hadn't been, this is like working on weekends. Mm. Um, so now, yeah, 2019, I'm very much trying to, um, yeah, do the things that like yoga and go back to hiking and um, make time for me and my friends. Yeah. You know, all my friends, are, they always say to me, oh, Johnny, you know, we never see you and you're too busy. And, you know, I, I, I want to start making Because that's, that's for... a good part of the whole therapy thing, isn't it? Just being happy and enjoying yourself. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah I, I, so, switching yeah. off. I think switching off. Mm. I think um, I haven't been switching off. <laughs> mm. And, you know, because it's especially with our the technology that we have now, you know, um, there have been times in my life where last thing I do is an email at night. The first thing I do in the morning is an email. And <laughs> and social media, I mean, it's I, you can get so wrapped up in it. So now I'm trying to really focus on, um, yeah, switching off, switching mm. off, because that's, uh, I just realise now how important that is. Yeah. Really, no, I, I, I'm really hoping 2019 you're going to do to do oh, more of that yeah, just really you know because you have a team of people now who can mm. filter you know your life a little bit yeah, better hopefully absolutely. so use them use them oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just want to thank you so much for oh, coming today thank Johnny thank Benjamin you. it's been such an honour to have you um, on the show today it only remains for me as we do with all our guests uh, to give you your celebrity goodie bag oh my gosh um, which oh. is over here, sir. Oh, there you go. That's incredibly kind. Thank <laughs> you so much. Oh wow, it's heavy. It, yes, it is heavy. There's little mini bottles of champagne because, <laughs> uh, just in case it doesn't go so well with the uh, <laughs> with the medication. <laughs> One of those is supposed to be for uh, Neil. Um, oh, uh, or so should funny. I should I not have said that? Oh, <laughs> I mean, actually, no. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. He'll 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 be delighted. He'll be delighted with that. So, but um, the rest is for you. Oh, thank you so. That's, that's so right. kind. Thank that's you. Right. Thank you so much. I wish I knew how it would feel to be free I wish I could break all the chains holding me I wish I could say all the things that I should say Say I'm loud, say I'm clear for the whole round Well, our heartfelt thanks go again to the amazing Johnny Benjamin with acknowledgements and a cheery wave to Neil Laybourne. For all things Johnny and Neil, check out johnnybenjamin.co.uk. The Edge of Waterloo Bridge, On Arrival at Accident and Emergency and Diary Entry were all written by Johnny and read by Anthony Townsend. Big Ben was by HowlRound. Johnny's third book is on track to be published this year, currently entitled The Book of Hope which is a collection of quotes, poems, illustrations and short stories by Johnny and others to inspire those struggling with their mental health or any of life's other adversities. And finally, from the 14th to the 18th of May 2019, The Stranger on the Bridge becomes a play written by Katie Hymns and performed at the Tobacco Factory Theatre in Bristol. If you've been affected by issues raised in today's show and feel you need to talk to someone, the Samaritans run a 24-hour service where you can call in complete confidence about whatever you want. The number to call anywhere in the UK is 116 123. That's 116 123. 
Our next show features SNS Online returnee Carmen Harris, who's penned an episode of BBC Four's Soon Gone, a Windrush chronicle. But until then, from me, Nick Randall, goodbye. I wish I